On behalf of RBCS, welcome today to this webinar on the more things change location, the more they stay the same. I'm Rex Black, president of RBCS, a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, we have delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. We have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. I'm the author of many books on software testing, as well as being the past president of the ISTQB and the ASTQB. Please note that today's uh, webinar does not have PMI PDUs associated with it. Uh, future webinars may very well, but you need to confirm uh, that they do have them uh, in order to claim uh, the PDUs. If you have any questions during the course of the webinar, feel free to submit them at any time, but please note that they are answered only at the end. I hope you enjoy this free webinar from RBCS. We do these free webinars as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company. That said, if you enjoy our free webinars and feel that they demonstrate solid insights into the kind of testing challenges that you are facing, Please make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. We're happy to provide a quote for any such help you might need. Contact us at info at rbcs-us.com. Okay, so what is it about mobile testing? Um, first off, let's uh, uh, let me explain these two images here. This uh, um, image on the left is um, <clears throat> one of the uh, most mobile computers um, ever, uh, at least in terms of uh, a mobile computer that was used uh, directly by human users as opposed to being used remotely, like one in a, uh, a Cassini or something like that. Uh, this is one of the Apollo uh, computers is on the Apollo lander. Um, and um, so <laughs> it, was, uh, it was certainly a mobile device in terms of mobile phones, circa the, about the same period of time, late 60s, early 70s, you see a car phone, mobile phone. This thing would be installed, this thing on the right would be installed in your car, or I suppose you could carry it around, but it had an enormous battery pack and other piece of equipment that went with it. Um, according to my wife, uh, my, my father-in-law, late father-in-law had one of these in his car and it was certainly not the acme of uh, reliability, but it did allow him to make phone calls um, on the road, which at that time was quite the novelty. So certainly mobile computing and mobile phones have changed quite a bit since the 1960s and they have merged. They are now, um, you have way more computing power in your mobile phone than was in that Apollo uh, computer. Um, and of course the Apollo computer was there to do exactly one thing. And, um, there are, you know, millions and millions of apps available for your mobile phone that can do all sorts of different things, um, which has changed not only the, the whole idea of, of, of the phone from being primarily a talking device to being a, a computer that happens to be able to make phone calls. Um, and we use the computer, which is a phone for all sorts of things um, that you wouldn't have 20 years ago thought of using a computer for, um, like the whole idea of getting directions. Um, 
I mean, even even a laptop computer, um, which is portable and could be bolted into a dashboard of a car like police use, uh, doesn't typically have GPS sensors in it, at least it didn't then, and would not be very useful for giving you directions. Now, PCs continue to be important, but uh, people spend a lot more time on mobile apps, as we'll see. Um, and, and there's some interest, very interesting changes going on there, as I'll point out in, uh, towards the end of this presentation. And if you're testing mobile apps, you have to be aware of how they are different than PC apps um, and be aware of how you need to test them differently than you would test a PC app. Now, that said, though, the best practices of testing, the, the test techniques remain the same. It's just that they have to be applied in the service of different kinds of things. So let's take a look at what changes and what doesn't change here. So in terms of what's the same, um, the techniques and the uh, considerations that you bring to testing are the same. So black box techniques, white box techniques, these are still relevant. Anybody who tells you, oh, you don't have to worry about decision tables or oh, you don't have to worry about state diagrams when you're testing mobile apps um, doesn't really know what they're talking about. Uh, automation is still important, uh, especially for regression, because typically mobile apps change very rapidly, as, as we'll discuss. Um, and there's test data management and test environment issues, big ones, um, especially with the test environments because of all the different supported configurations. Now, another thing that's still the same is software is buggy. Uh, there is certainly no evidence whatsoever that mobile apps are less buggy than other software just because they're simpler in some way. They may do fewer things. That doesn't mean that from a point of view of frequency of failure, they're less likely to fail. In fact, if anything, I would say it's probably the other way around, though, again, there's no, no real studies that have been done on this to date. Um, as with any application, there are quality risks that go beyond just functional failures. Usability, performance, and reliability in particular tend to be categories of potential functional failures that are very important, and you need to test those just as you would with a non-mobile type of uh, app. Um, people are starting to do safety-critical and mission-critical things on mobile apps, and uh, it's very dangerous to assume that, well, it's a mobile app, so we don't need to test it as much. Um, we have a client that uses, um, uh, in part, uh, mobile apps in healthcare management uh, systems, hospitals and uh, pharmacies and so forth. And you, you definitely want the mobile app to be working reliably when a doctor is counting on it to make decisions that are associated with your health and safety. So these need to be tested very, very thoroughly, of course. And skills growth, as in testing anywhere, remains a constant consideration. Uh, technology is, is changing very, very quickly. Uh, things are constantly uh, growing uh, in terms of what the phones are capable of doing, and then the apps grow to exploit those new capabilities. This is all part of what I would suspect is a desperate effort on the part of mobile device makers to avoid the commoditization trap that took all of the profit out of selling desktop and laptop PCs, um, with the exception of certain specialized types of desktop and laptop PCs, like the ruggedized laptop that I use because I travel so much. 
for the most part, you just can't make a dime selling PCs anymore because they got completely commoditized. That's not a good place to be. You don't make a lot of profit. So I think phone makers are constantly trying to push new stuff. And so <clears throat> the new stuff that they're adding to their phones and drives app capability, which of course means that from a testing and a test tool perspective, there's going to be constant change. Now, this is nothing new. Certainly, even though the PCs have been commoditized, what people do with PCs is constantly growing and evolving. Um, so skills growth, regardless of what you're testing, is a constant uh, concern. That said, there are things that are very different, and we are going to look at some here. Uh, I believe I've got, is it nine there? Let's see, three, six, ten. Ten things that are different. Now, I don't claim that this list of ten differences is in any way uh, exhaustive, uh, complete. Um, I think it's uh, certainly um, a, a good starting point and stuff that everybody should be aware of if you're testing mobile apps, there may be specific things for your app that are of concern um, that are different that are not on this list. So don't, don't leave saying, oh, yay, now I know everything I need to know about testing mobile apps. Uh, this is here for food for thought to get you thinking, not uh, permission to turn your brain off. So let's take a look at these areas. Okay, mobile devices and, and thus mobile apps are often aware of things that are going on in the world around them beyond what would typically be the case with a PC or a typical traditional server. You have heart rate monitors, accelerometers that look at motion, GPS devices that check to see where you are, um, and Apps can be affected directly or indirectly um, by sensors. So the device orientation can cause the screen to reorient, which then, of course, can, can change the, the, the way that the output looks. And in addition, there may very well be peripherals. So you can have external Bluetooth keyboards, like one that I use with my uh, Android phone. Um, I have an adapter for my Android phone that's supposed to adapt uh, USB to HDMI, though it really doesn't work very well, but it's supposed to work. Uh, and, you know, you would want to make sure that from a testing point of view, you want to know what sensors and peripherals are uh, used by your app or directly or indirectly. And um, <clears throat> be careful with this because this can be a huge list. I had a client... Um, talking to me about the cubic meter of devices that affect their uh, testing. Um, and he was being kind of ironic, but it's, uh, it's still uh, a potential issue that uh, you could have a very large amount of potential testing configuration. So what you want to do is use equivalence partitioning and boundary value analysis to try to shrink that list to a manageable size. And you may even apply risk analysis to try to identify certain configurations, sensors, and peripherals that just aren't all that important uh, and, and that you can more or less safely um, ignore. If you're wondering what this picture is, by the way, it's a GPS satellite. So that signal that tells you uh, tells your phone where you are is coming from something that looks like that. Out of space, down to your phone.
Um, so lots of apps, lots of mobile apps do rely on connectivity to work and others may not rely on it, but they behave differently depending on whether they do or don't have a connection. And the type of connection can be important here too. So do you have a Wi-Fi connection or do you have a mobile data connection? Um, now, mobile connections, you know, you can have different kinds of uh, generations of connection. The speed can be different depending not only on the generation, but also the strength of the signal, of course. And you may have data restrictions. So, for example, I always set my phone up to not download data internationally over the mobile network because I get charged like, you know, on my right arm for that. Uh, so, you know, your app has to be able to know, oh, I have a data connection theoretically, but I'm not allowed to download any data off it. Um, and Wi-Fi connect connectivity can be equally variable. Um, and to make this even more fun, something that happens with mobile devices that is much less likely to happen with a PC devices, a connection can change or be lost in the middle of something happening. Now, I say this is less likely to happen with a PC because the PC is probably not moving. So it's not changing in relationship to the transmitter that it's trying to communicate with more typically, or may not even be uh, using a transmitter at all, it might be using a wire. Uh, so of course those signals, Wi-Fi and wired connections to a PC can go down, but it's much, much less likely. And they're certainly uh, not likely to be in a constant state of flux. Um, so techniques that can be useful for looking at connectivity and, and figuring out how to test connectivity are things like decision tables, use cases, state-based testing, and if, if necessary, pairwise testing. Because uh, sometimes what can happen is that uh, connectivity changes on one connection can affect the way the other connections behave, and you want to make sure that you've looked at combinations when it's high risk. I have a, a podcast application that I use that just it gets really, really flaky if the wireless connection is going up and down, even if it's not downloading. I guess there's some sort of interruption that's happening from the operating system that is not being handled well by the podcast application. But whatever it is, the audio just sounds horrible. It's just like click, 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 and stop and start, and it's just uh, really bad. If I turn the Wi-Fi off when the Wi-Fi is unreliable, that stops. If the Wi-Fi is on the Wi-Fi is reliable, no problem. So... You know, these are things you might want to look at. And of course, if apps are meant to be used in motion, which, you know, typically a mobile app will, you want to make sure that you test what happens when it's in motion and how does varying signal strength and so forth affect connectivity and thus the behavior of your app. If you're sitting in a test lab bathed in a, a, a warm, invisible glow of super strong Wi-Fi signal and you sit in a chair and test your mobile app, that's not necessarily meaningful uh, results uh, with respect to what your you know, users in the, in the, the great wild, wild world are going to see. Now, um, <clears throat> some of you may, like me, have a degree in engineering. I have a degree in computer science and engineering, and that included an electrical engineering component, a fairly strong electrical engineering component. And so um, I have not really used that training all that much, that uh, skills that I learned in college. But familiar enough to know that radios are weird. <laughs> radios are not the same as a 
wired digital connection. They do not behave the same way. When you send sending bits down an Ethernet cable, for example, that's just different than information that's being transmitted over a radio. Um, so you might, you know, you might think the radio, it's just not the thing in my dashboard that plays music. Well, no, but it's a radio and it's actually multiple radios. So the cellular network, the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, the uh, near field communication, which is an RFID chip reader. Uh, there can be other things in there. Um, and uh, these, the radios and the signals and the way that they behave can be really perplexing if your main experience has been with testing um digital signals coming down a wire so i mentioned this strength variation can happen you also have this interesting thing of faraday cages so you see this this performer here dr megavolt who is being sparked by an enormous tesla coil now you know this is this is the tesla coil it's is kind of it sounds scary and it's, it's, from a voltage point of view it's enormous um but uh, you know, it's it's not maybe as scary as one might think, but certainly you wouldn't want to get sparked by a Tesla coil like this if you were not inside a Faraday cage. But because he is in the Faraday cage, all of the current moves on the outside of the cage. Um, and you might think, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, if you ever notice, if you get into an elevator with your phone, then the signals get really funky and sometimes stop. Uh, in our house, we have a metal roof, which I, I love our metal roof because we get hailstorms in Texas and I don't have to replace my roof after hailstorms, but it does do some interesting things to phone signals coming into our house. Probably also does, to some extent, prevents people from uh, stealing our Wi-Fi from our front yard, though you know our front yard is uh, a quarter mile long, so <laughs> I'm not sure how many people would be doing that. Um Radios are often uh, limited to line of sight, so if you can't see the cell tower, uh, theoretically, if you, you couldn't draw a straight line from where you're standing to where the cell tower is and see along it, then you may lose the signal. Um, fading of signals are influenced by these formulas called Rayleigh and Rising uh, uh, formulas, and uh, this is why when you're in, a, in the big concrete canyons in, uh, say, New York or Chicago or something like that, the signals get really weird and the phone can't figure out where you are. And, of course, there's distance issues associated with signals. So uh, if you have a background that's purely in digital technology, you've got a pure computer science or software engineering degree, and you know nothing about how radios work, you need to study up on that a bit because there will be implications of that that are going to influence the way that signals come to and leave from your device, which if your app is relying on sending and receiving information from outside of the device, that will influence the device. And again, in motion use, you know, you need to make sure that you test in motion use here in relationship to the signals, where they're coming from, where they're going to. And Try different user personas, too. If you're not familiar with user personas, I'd recommend doing a little research on this, but this has to do with the way that people interact with software. And, you know, some people are a lot less patient than others. Myself, I'm not a very patient computer user, and so if the thing starts getting weird on me, the phone starts getting weird on me, I'm tempted many times to just power cycle the thing, reboot it, get it, you know, try it again. Uh, so, you know, think about how people are going to be affected by the way your app works. You may be perfectly happy if you're getting paid 
to sit and watch the app kind of respond to some sort of weird in motion related signal change, but the user may very well not. Now, here's another important um, distinction between mobile apps and PC apps. Uh, PC apps, now this is not always true, but a, a relatively safe generalization is to say that they often are either standalone or they, they interact with the outside world and other apps in fairly limited ways. So email sends and receives email over certain um, protocols, SMTP protocol, the POP protocol, maybe the IMAP protocol, word processors you can copy paste into and from word processors via clipboard. Uh, but, you know, the interactions tend to be pretty limited. Mobile apps, on the other hand, tend to have very, very wide ranges of interoperability. Uh, for example, if then just last night, I used Yelp to find a restaurant, Imperial Dynasty, near where I'm staying here in Mawa, New Jersey. And um, I clicked on give me directions and it then transferred me to the Google Maps app on my phone. So that sending of information to the app app, the, to the map app has to work. When I used to have an iPhone, uh, which I don't anymore for reasons I won't get into, but um, <clears throat> had to do with quality issues with the uh, Apple software. But when I used to have an iPhone, one of the quality issues I had with it was when you use Yelp, and you clicked on give me directions, you had to do it twice. The first time it would just silently fail. It, it would call up the map app, but it wouldn't pass the, the address. They had to do it again. So apps talk to each other on the device. Apps talk to the operating system, and of course the device capabilities. So I can use Facebook to take a picture, for example, or uh, live stream off of um, uh, uh, YouTube. Um, of course, they talk to various kinds of things out there on the Internet. Various services and protocols are out on the Internet. And, of course, they can also talk to other devices. So my phone has an infrared transmitter on it that allows me to use it as a remote control for my TV. Uh, so because of all these sensors and all these radios, there's a lot of different ways that apps can talk to the outside world. And, of course, they then they can talk to each other. Uh, which makes sense, you know, why build a map app into the Yelp app, app because you have a map app on your phone, but then the interoperability becomes important. So you need to use equivalence partitioning and make sure that you understand what are all these interfaces between your app and other apps in the outside world and so forth. And figure out all the possible interoperations, both on the sending and receiving side. So don't just assume, well, I can send, therefore I can receive. That might not be accurate. Now, fuzzing. Uh, fuzzing is a great way of looking for robustness, reliability, and in some cases, security issues related to these various interfaces. So I would recommend that uh, you use uh, fuzzing of the, of the input streams to see what happens. If you don't know anything about fuzzing, uh, check it out online, learn about it. It's a powerful technique. And of course, equivalence partitioning and boundary value analysis can be useful to look at things like communication interruptions and failures, problems with signals again, things that would affect throughput and so forth. Now, a number of years ago, lithium was important to some people in pill form. This is lithium 
used as an antidepressant or, or mood stabilizer. Uh, well, lithium is really important now from a battery point of view, and uh, lithium is still associated with human depression and emotions because when their lithium discharges, they get really depressed. Um, my daughters, when their phone batteries discharge, will be running around yelling, oh my God, I'm at 3%. So there's battery issues that you have to think about, how the battery is going to affect your app. Now, heat will affect the way that power is managed on the device, uh, along with other things like power management settings. So you want to make sure that when you're, you're testing your app, that you're not just sitting there with a the thing plugged into a charger and it's at it's at 100% and it's in an air conditioned room. Um, you know, especially if you're going to use the thing outside, you know, temperatures can vary and that can affect the way that the batteries behave. And batteries are weird. Batteries are, are physical things that use chemical reactions to create power or that use power to drive physical reactions when they're physical chemical reactions when they're charging. Um, now, if there are conditions that you know, a change like a good phone goes into power saving mode and that changes the way your app behaves in terms of enabling and disabling features, you want to make sure that you've tested those changes. So look at things like decision tables, look at things like use cases, uh, use state-based tests, and sequences of transitions can be important here. It can uh, do, do something and then something else happens and it's okay with that. Now, cell phones, mobile phones, for what they are, are amazingly powerful devices, but CPU memory and storage are pretty limited. Um, so <clears throat> typical Windows PC is going to be about twice as powerful from a CPU point of view. Uh, and you might say, well, you know, that'll change over time. Moore's Law says that, you know, the power of, of uh, processors doubles every 18 months. Well, um, power issues and heat issues come into play here because if you double the number of transistors on the CPU, then that has an impact on power consumption. And if it impacts power consumption, it impacts heat and heat dissipation. And so many times what will happen is that uh, power management features kick in because of battery charge issues or because of heat issues, then CPU performance will get throttled. So you need to make sure that on the device side, you're looking at performance and reliability issues. Uh, if you're, you have a native app or a hybrid app, um, because that will have a pretty strong effect. Uh, you're, you're relying very much on, you know, doing work on, on your CPU on your phone. Now, if you're doing a pure browser-based app, this is a little less of an issue because you're just relying on the browser. Uh, but you know, it's still, still possible if there's got plugins or so forth involved that this, this could become, um, an issue, um, bottleneck from a performance perspective. And of course, keep in mind that your app is often running with other apps running. So don't just test your app all by itself running standalone, the only app running on the phone, because that's not likely to be a realistic scenario. So updates, 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 updates. Um, I get up every morning and, you know, it seems like every other day or so, if I take a look, it'll be like all these apps got updated overnight. Like, did I want that to happen? And I know I can turn that off, but 
you know, the, the problem with that is that then you open yourself up to security issues, right? And then we have the, the notorious Equifax failure that just occurred because of patches that should have been applied back in, I guess it was March, um, that weren't applied because I suppose people had other things on their priority list. This is a, a constant uh, tug of war between keeping the lights on and adding new features in IT organizations. And, uh, you know, whoever made that decision, of course, is not, not really thinking with a full uh, set of information. But but it, it does happen um, that turning off updates creates security risks. So, you know, by default, generally the updates will be on. So your apps are probably being updated frequently. Um, and even if you're not updating your own app frequently for whatever reason, the other apps that are on the phone are being updated or mobile device are being updated. And, and those interoperate with your app. So that, once again, we have regression risk. So to deal with this constant updating, you can either ignore the regression risk and hope for the best, which is not the brightest way to go about this, or figure out how to automate regression tests. Now, automating regression tests through a GUI uh, always, regardless of platform, poses some real maintainability challenges. So think about alternate interfaces like command line interfaces, API interfaces, data layer interfaces that you can use to do some automation. Um, there is, for example, a TCL and TK scripting available for Android, which is a nice lightweight command line approach to uh, scripting. There are a lot of other options. I just throw that out there as one example. Don't consider it's like, oh, I've got to test through the GUI because, um, you know, otherwise that's not realistic. Well, you know, perfect is the enemy of the good, as the saying goes. You don't want to uh, say, well, if I can't test it, I can't automate, but I test exactly the way that the users use things that I'm not going to bother. Uh, certainly, use of simulators is, uh, is one of these reasonable compromises. Using outsourced test labs, using crowdsourcing, perhaps, can be options. Now, outsourced test labs and crowdsourcing can pose some challenges to you if there's some uh, intellectual property issues associated with getting your apps out there floating around. Um, so you have to, you have to weigh that. Now, as I said, apps often talk to the outside world, um, and sometimes that's driven by the app itself. In other words, the app initiates the communication, but sometimes it's initiated by the outside world, as it were, um, some server somewhere. Um, so um, you can get weather updates, you can get Amber alerts, you can have social media notifications like Twitter and Facebook if you have your phone is set up to show those alerts. Obviously, phone calls, messages, navigational software. So you want to um, use equivalence partitioning, decision tables, state-based testing, and use case testing to try to identify the different ways that these interruptions can occur. And notice that the interruption may not be to your app directly, but the interruption may effectively preempt some amount of CPU and other resource that your app might be thinking was going to be there. Um, and so <clears throat> that can cause um, interruptions. And of course, when, when you have um, issues with connectivity and power management going on here, that can further complicate it. So, you know, the, the Twitter notification comes in 
And as that's interrupting your app, boom, the app, the phone goes into a power saving mode because it drops below a certain percentage of battery. So you may want to try to identify different kinds of interactions, interruptions, connectivity changes, and power management, and maybe use pairwise testing to see if there's some funkiness there of, you know, if this happens while this happens, at you know, these two things at the same time, it trips up our app. I get the feeling that not a lot of app makers actually bother to do this, which I think is a problem because, um, you know, I, I see situations with my phone where when those interruptions occur, the behavior of some of the apps is not always graceful. Okay, well, what do we do when we want to interact with our phone? Do we bang away on a keyboard like this? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I learned to type on something much like this, which tells you what a dinosaur I am. Um, there's something very uh, pleasant about it, by the way. There's a, a tactile feel of the keyboard. Some people still like them. Um, but uh, these uh, old typewriters had a real uh, interesting impression of, uh, you know, when as you're uh, typing and you gain a certain amount of coordination with them. Uh, the phone, of course, is a completely different interface, but it's similar in the sense that it's tactile. Um, so while you're not interacting with it like you would with a manual typewriter, definitely there's issues of how you're interacting with the screen um, that um, has meaning to the, to the app potentially. Um, so if you're going to do input validation testing, you know, when we've done PCs and servers and so forth, this is relatively simple. It's you know, put inputs, input input inputs and see what uh, what happens but you know there can be multiple ways to make something happen with a mobile device so you want to make sure that you've done some equivalence partitioning and boundary value analysis of the inputs as you would with standard PC but also do equivalence partitioning of the different ways that the inputs can occur and of course personas can be important here user personas because different people interact with these things in different ways now, if there are interruptions associated with the inputs, then this can this uh, can intersect with the issues that I mentioned on the previous slide. And of course, here you definitely want to think about usability. So, you know, intersection of things like screen size and soft keyboards. I've used some apps, mobile apps, where the soft keyboard automatically pops up when you navigate to a particular field and it covers that field or it covers some subsequent field, so it's not possible to navigate out of the field. I've seen this in uh, uh, Wi-Fi um, authentication at a number of hotels that uh, I'm not sure who builds their websites, that they haven't really thought through all the mobile implications all the time. Now, here's something I alluded to <coughs> earlier. Um, that mobile apps are becoming more and more important. So if you look at this, this is 2008 to 2015. Uh, it's a couple years old, but there's no reason to think that the trend overall has changed. You can see that the number of hours per day, per adult, spent on uh, mobile apps has increased dramatically. You see that it goes from 0.3 hours, 12% you know, of total uh, online interaction, a digital interaction 
uh, in 2008 up to uh, 2.8 hours and over half of the interaction um, in in, uh, 2015. Now, it's not that the PC use has necessarily gone down. That stayed relatively flat. It's just that the uh, use of the mobile apps has uh, grown rapidly and, in fact, exponentially. And if you remember from uh, university, if you took uh, uh, calculus, um, you remember that the um, derivative, um, which is the rate of change, and the second derivative, which is the rate of change of the rate of change, uh, on an exponential growth curve, a the, the derivative, the second derivative, the rate of change of the rate of change is also exponential. <laughs> uh, that's a quality of the exponential curve. So obviously, at some point that stops because uh, you know you only so many hours in the day, at least on this graph. But if we were to look at this total across all users, adult and children, total across the world. Uh, that will still continue to grow. Uh, so not only is the usage growing exponentially, but the number of apps is growing. Um, and the, the, not only the similar apps, so competition in the same space, but also invention of new spaces. So you can expect to see that the rate of technological change is going to pose challenges uh, for the foreseeable future. This will be a very dynamic situation, probably more dynamic than testing of PCs. So to wind this up, uh, testing of mobile apps is certainly still testing um, and all of the best practices that apply uh, to testing still apply. So mobile doesn't change everything. Um, But there are important mobile specific considerations as in any sort of testing, the technology and implications of technology and the way that's technolo- that technology is used will change the way that the apps need to be tested. So certainly mobile apps have, I, I would say, more dimensions of testing to consider. Uh, we looked at 10 of them here, which are distinct to mobile. And in addition, um, continuous and disruptive change is uh, certainly on, on the uh, menu for the foreseeable future. So you need to uh, learn how to apply and extend testing best practices in uh, your uh, day-to-day mobile app work. Okay, so we'll uh, put the the advertisement up here as I open it up to uh, questions. Um, Please feel free to submit any questions that you might have um, using the um, webinar, go to webinar interface. Uh, While we're uh, waiting for the questions to come in, a quick word about our services. As I mentioned earlier, we have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services to companies looking to improve their testing quality assurance practices. If you receive valuable information from these free webinars, please help us continue to provide them by making RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. We are happy to provide a quote for any such services you might need. Contact us at info at rbcs-us.com. I've got an email question here to get us kicked off. Um, Somebody was asking, is there uh, ASTQB uh, training and certification available for mobile 
um, testing? And the answer is yes, there is a uh, ASTQB um, certified mobile tester certificate that is out there. Uh, we offer training in that as do a couple other training providers. Uh, we of course think ours is best, but <laughs> that's just us. Um, and training is available live, um, uh, in-person classes on site or public. It's also available via virtual classes and e-learning. So there's a lot of different ways to go about getting that two-day course. Uh, so it's a syllabus duration plus the, the exam and it's a 40, 40 question exam, one hour exam. So if you're <clears throat> new to mobile testing and you're looking to, um, get your skills up and, and so you know what are the fundamental things that I need to know about testing mobile apps then um, that's a that's a good place to start certainly you can download the uh, syllabus off the ASTQB website that's ASTQB.org it's a free download and download it and give it a read and that will give you some ideas just by just by taking a look at that um, so uh, another question here, um, you mentioned problems with Apple um, software and quality concerns. What, what might those have been? Um, well, the one, one you know, that I mentioned that was kind of a source of irritation was the um, uh, interoperability problems that I had between some apps that I like to use and some of the built-in default features. Um, the, other, the bigger problem, the thing that finally convinced me not to get an iPhone uh, when mine was finally dying and not replace it with a new one, and in fact, never buy one again, was just the way that as, as my phone aged, um, there was clearly an effort to force me to upgrade to a new phone. Um, that you know things would break, and if I wanted to get support from Apple, first off they would shunt me off to a uh, tech support person who clearly had less of a clue as to what was going on than I did, which was not I wasn't happy about. But then they wanted to make me pay for it, so I was adding injury to insult, effectively. Um, <clears throat> so um, that that was really the final the final straw. I mean, I got the feeling that they that that regression was allowing regression to happen, breaking things that used to work, forcing upgrades onto the phone, which broke things, and then forcing me to pay for support help that didn't fix it. <laughs> just, I'm not doing that. So I, I found that to be very frustrating and that but that was unacceptable to me. Other people were fine with it. You know, I have my members of my family that like to upgrade their phones a lot and they're, they don't worry about that because like that's never going to happen to me. Um, now, you know, I'm not I'm not here to say that Android is perfect by any means. And I also tried Windows and I'm not using a Windows phone anymore. Wouldn't go back to it just because of the problems I had there. But I have plenty of problems with Android, too. I think that just, you know, it's 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 an issue of um, all of these aspects that I talked about that makes testing very challenging. And as a result, I think testing gets testing of mobile apps is not done as thoroughly as it should be. And a lot of quality problems are simply shunted off onto uh, those of us users. Uh, so let's see. Um, Yogesh asks how to do app performance testing with hardware. I'm assuming you're talking about doing it actually on on the device. Um, so so when you're thinking about 
performance from a mobile point of view, you have to you have to remember that there's two there are typically two components to this. There's server side and there's client side. Now, server side testing of the server side performance can be done in, in ways that are very um, uh, typical, uh, similar to uh, testing of a uh, of a browser-based app because ultimately it's the same kind of thing. You've got a, an interface out there on the network that the app is talking to on the well, on the internet, typically that the app is talking to. Um, you know, the 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 server on the other side of that doesn't necessarily care that much where what the physical attributes of the originating device is. So you have to remember that part. There's that. There's the the uh, server-side piece. Uh, don't forget to test that because you, your app might work fine on the device, but then you, you know the, the back end is uh, um, the uh, uh, could be the bottleneck. Now another thing about uh, performance testing is not only do you have to test server side, you also have to think about network because network bandwidth can also be the bottleneck. So when you're doing server side testing, make sure that you are actually simulating realistic network connectivity from your device to the uh, server side. This will be a little bit different than the standard uh, browser-based type of, uh, of app testing. Now, on the client side for performance, it's very important to determine, you know, what, what's the implementation of the app? Is it native? Is it hybrid? Is it uh, browser-based? Because that's going to be, that's going to have different type of footprint, different type of performance considerations. So you need to understand you know, what, what is it? And then, you know, the, the kinds of issues that I talked about here have to be considered, you know, so you don't, for example, want to do your performance testing on a high-end device and not do any performance testing on a more typical or low-end device because, you know, you will miss problems. Um, got another, I got a comment from Yogesh here. Uh, regression testing happens continuously, so it has to be irritated to the user. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think Yogesh to be blunt about it, I think, uh, for a lot of apps, the only regression testing that's actually going on is being done by the user. Um, but, um, in, in the case of people that are actually doing the right thing and putting regression testing in place for their apps, yeah, it's, it does need to be automated. Ideally, it would be something that's part of your continuous integration framework, assuming you're doing some agile-ish type of life cycle. And you would be, um, um, you know, making sure that, uh, that those tests are running um, as, as changes are made. And again, to go back to my comment about the perfect being the enemy of the good, uh, just because you can't automate 100% of what you would automate from a regression point of view doesn't, doesn't mean give up and don't bother to do anything. All right. Well, thank you for your questions. Uh, to close this session, please remember that we run these free webinar sessions once a month. Uh, check our website, rbcs-us.com, to sign up or just watch our social media, um, LinkedIn. Um, you see our, my coordinates there. Um, and um, Twitter and Facebook are typically where we're going to post notifications of upcoming uh, webinars. Uh, if you miss a webinar, um, we post the quality, uh, recorded webinars on the uh, YouTube channel that you see down there. Um, so subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, you'll, you'll catch those when they come out. 
We also post other things like I've got a keynote speech video that I'm going to be posting next week that goes out there. So we're pretty active on um, on our YouTube channel, and there's hundreds of, literally hundreds of recorded webinars and training and keynotes that you can access there for free. Um, so connect with us, follow us on social media, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, if you if you like this webinar and uh, want to get similar kinds of information, you can just send me a connection request on LinkedIn and I'll uh, connect with you, keep, keep you up to date. Um, so all of these things that I've been mentioning here, these are the, our free services, our social media posts and um, YouTube and so forth, LinkedIn articles. Um, and we offer these free resources as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are not just for profit company, but don't forget, we need to keep the lights on. So please do make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting or training. Um, you'll notice, you, you may notice that we're kind of mixing up the hours on the webinars a little bit. We're, we may continue to do that, experiment a little bit with uh, with the different hours, uh, times of running the um, webinars, see how that affects numbers and turnout and so forth. Uh, so uh, let us know what you think, good or bad. Um, and uh, um, we'll uh, continue to, to adjust going forward, but uh, the, the monthly free webinars will, will continue. And this program has been tremendously successful, so we'll, we'll keep on. Next month is uh, uh, one of our one key ideas, the short webinars. Um, so watch for that. It'll be about how to analyze the return on investment of software testing. So uh, you won't want to miss that. That's one of the short 20 minute ones. So thanks to all of you for attending and I look forward to seeing you on future webinars.